Hello guys, it's Katie and welcome back to another episode of Crime and Crochet. In this week's episode, we are talking about the case of the Sims family murders, which happened back in October of 1966 in Tallahassee, Florida. The Sims family consisted of the father, Robert, who was 42, Helen, who was 34, and their three daughters, who were 17, 15, and 12 at the time of the murders. The three daughters are named Jeanette, who is the 17-year-old, Judith, who is the 15-year-old, and Joy, who is the 12-year-old. The two oldest girls are in high school at this time, and the youngest girl is in middle school. As far as the family, everyone remembered them as being a super nice family and very involved with the church and everything. The mom, Helen, even worked for the church. She was doing secretary work at the church, and she was even playing the piano at the church. Everybody would gather around her during the day when she was working at the church and go on their lunch breaks and stuff and just listen to her play the piano because apparently she was just very good at doing that. And as far as the father Robert's job, he was a technical person at the Department of Education. So he was actually one of the first technical people that they ever really had in the Department of Education, and of course this is 1966 when the murder occurred, so they were just in the beginning stages of using technology in schools, but he was kind of the forefront of that, which I think is really cool. Helen and Robert ended up moving to the town of Tallahassee, Florida from their hometown in Mississippi because he was attending the University of Florida, which is located in Tallahassee. And that is where he got his degree in the technology stuff and how he got the technology job, of course. Robert and Helen did get married pretty early, at least for her. There is quite a bit of an age difference between the two of them, him being 42 and her being 35 at the time of the murders. But she was 17 when they got married and their oldest daughter being 17 by the time she is murdered, that would put her at about 18 having their first daughter. So I'm assuming he was probably still going through college and they were moving to Tallahassee and all of that, so they decided to just stick there and raise their kids there as well. And of course, the other two girls come along, and from the outside looking in, it just seems like a happy family that is super religious and basically all-American as they have been described in some of the sources I'm seeing. Everybody looking back on the family remembers them being super nice, the type of people to say hi to you in the grocery store, all of that kind of stuff. And keep in mind back in 1966, Tallahassee, even though it is and was back then, the capital of Florida. It was very much a small southern town back then, and everybody knew everybody, so nobody locked their doors. Nobody even really had locks. They all knew each other, all that kind of stuff. 
On October 22nd of 1966, there is a football game going on between the University of Florida and Mississippi. So this was a pretty big deal and a lot of people in town were going to this game. That being said, the Sims family actually stayed home this evening. So Robert and Helen and their youngest daughter, 12-year-old Joy, were both at home on this evening, and the two older girls, both who were in high school, were reportedly babysitting for different people that had gone to the game and, I assume, didn't want to bring their kids, so they were paying them to babysit their kids. Now, for 15-year-old Judith, there are some conflicting stories about where she was, and this isn't anything suspicious, by the way, this is just between sources that I've looked at, so I do want to give you the other option of where she was, which was at the football game. A couple of sources say she was at the football game, a couple of sources say she was babysitting. But either way, moral of the story is the two older sisters were not home on this night. Around 11 p.m. on the night of October 22nd, the football game has concluded and the oldest daughter, Jeanette, is able to come home from her babysitting. And what she comes home to changes not only her life forever, but the lives of everybody in Tallahassee as well. When she enters the house, the TV is on, and there's even a cup of coffee on the table. So everything seems kind of normal, but no one is there greeting her. And of course, if the TV's on, where is everybody? Why aren't they watching the TV? All of that kind of stuff, I'm sure, is running through her head. So she starts walking around the house to try to figure out where her parents and little sister are. She ends up finding all of them in the master bedroom, and her father's body was laying on top of the bed with a blindfold on and a gunshot wound to the head. Her mother's body was found on the floor, and she was bound also had a blindfold on, had two gunshot wounds to the head, and one gunshot wound to the leg. And 12-year-old little Joy's body was diagonally from her mother, and she had a gunshot wound to the head and six stab wounds. So this is just crazy to me how they were all found like this. And also that poor Jeanette, at 17 years old, had to discover her family like this. And then, back in 1966, there's no 911, there's no ambulances, so she has to go through the phone book and figure out who to call. And in her flustered state, she calls the funeral home. Russell Bavis and his 16-year-old son, Rocky, are the two working at the funeral home that night. So they end up showing up at the Sims family home and, of course, finding the parents and youngest daughter in this state. And they end up getting help for the family. The father, Russell, ends up untying the parents, trying to save them because at this point, the parents are still breathing. They finally got an officer out to the scene who was 24-year-old Larry Campbell. 
And y'all gotta keep in mind, this is like the first time anyone in Tallahassee has seen a case like this. I'm sure they've dealt with murder cases, but nothing to this degree. And definitely not a whole family being murdered in their own home. So they are very shocked, have no idea what to do, and in a lot of ways do not handle the evidence and the case correctly because of that. And on top of the inexperience of the police, there was also a lot of talks of what jurisdiction should be investigating this case. The bigger state thought that they should be investigating this because it was such a big case, but the county thought it was their case because it happened in their county. So they were all stepping all over each other's toes, and for that reason, as well as their inexperience, the case was not handled very well. In terms of collecting evidence properly and all of that kind of stuff, there was even stories about cops brewing a cup of coffee inside the home because it was going to be a long night and they were going to have to investigate and stay at the crime scene for a long time so they just made a pot of coffee which is obviously not a good idea because then their fingerprints are everywhere there's neighbors coming over because nothing like this has ever happened so neighbors are coming over trying to see what's happening their fingerprints are getting everywhere because they're walking inside the house all kinds of things like that are tampering with the crime scene and a lot of it is just negligence on the police's fault because they had never dealt with anything like this case ever. So as far as motives or maybe who could have possibly done this because this case is still unsolved to this day. But of course police tried to look into motives to maybe give them an idea of who would have done this or what type of person would have done this. So of course they have the idea of maybe it's robbery but then there is money found jewelry found out all kinds of things that were valuable that were just out in the home that were not stolen so that eliminates the possibility of robbery as a motive there have been a few different suspects in the case over the years but obviously nothing that anyone has ever been arrested for since this case is still unsolved. But we do have, first off, the pastor at the church where Helen was working. Helen had quit working there just a couple of days before the murder. And this man supposedly was known to be just such a great guy. Almost had like a cult following among people that went to his church and that kind of stuff. So there were reports that even if he didn't do it, if he told someone to do it, they would do it for him. So there was a lot of talks of maybe him planning that out, but they know for sure that he couldn't have done it himself because he was at that football game and on camera being there the whole entire time. Other than during the halftime when he apparently disappeared and nobody could really track him down during that time, but according to investigators, they went through every possible way you could get from the football stadium to the Sims family home, and there was no way to get to their home with the amount of time that was needed that he was not on camera for, and there was definitely no possible way 
that he would have gotten there, committed the murders, and gotten back within that amount of time. But still, in my mind, that doesn't necessarily cross him out as a suspect because, again, he could have hired somebody or just had somebody do this. Which you might be thinking, okay, Helen quit her job at the church. What's so bad about that? He's wanting to have her murdered just because she quit her job? That's definitely not the case. He, again, like we talked about, was known to be such this great kind of public figure. He was voted man of the year for Florida one year, like all of this kind of stuff. Everybody just loved him. And he was trying to protect his reputation because supposedly he was having a bunch of different affairs and maybe possibly he was scared that Helen knew too much and he wanted to get rid of her to make sure that his reputation was saved. That's kind of a little bit of my theory, but I don't know too much on that. There have also been theories over the years that maybe Helen was having an affair with the pastor, but again, investigators have crossed that out and said there has never been any evidence to prove that theory. Another suspect they investigated was years later when a woman came forward to the police saying that her ex-husband had confessed to killing the Sims family. Now, according to the investigators, he passed the polygraphs with flying colors and his fingerprints were never at the crime scene. All of this kind of stuff, they said, ruled him out. And they also mentioned, apparently, it was a popular thing back then for men to tell their wives that they killed the family as a way to intimidate them, which is absolutely insane, but apparently that was kind of common in the town back then, and um, apparently it was just an intimidation tactic. I don't know, that's very weird to me, but according to investigators, that is the story on that, and he is crossed out from the list of suspects because of that. Now, for such a high-profile case, I'm sure they've looked at hundreds, if not thousands, of different suspects for this case, but we are just going to talk about one more who was actually a 16-year-old at the time of the murders, and again, he did not really become a suspect until years later when a journalist was actually doing a story on a man who had killed his girlfriend or wife, I forget which one she was, but anyway, he had killed her in Atlanta, Georgia, and this journalist apparently tracked him back to Tallahassee, and he lived just a couple houses down from the Sims family when they were murdered, and he had all this violent history, all of this stuff, so it was someone that they investigated, but ultimately decided that he was not person of interest or a suspect in this case because he had an alibi, his fingerprints were not at the crime scene, all kinds of stuff like that, and plus, he was only 16 at the time, so there was really no evidence other than him living close to them linking him to this case, so again, he was another suspect that was thought about for a moment, but kind of tossed out the window. And that has been 
this case in a nutshell. I mean, obviously, this has been a cold case for a very long time, so this is just a brief summary of the case, but this is where I'm going to leave it for the purposes of not being a super long episode, as well as just giving you basically the highlights of this story. So I would be super interested to hear your guys' thoughts. If you have any on this case, you can always leave them on my Instagram at Crime and Crochet. On the Instagram post I post on the same day as this episode, you could let me know your theories. Maybe if you agree with my theory, if you think something else, if you've heard of this case and there's more details you want to share, whatever, you could head over to my Instagram and chat with me there. But with that, let's just get on to this week's crochet pattern. For this week's crochet pattern, I have the Yoda scarf pattern from Princess Baby Boutique on Etsy. And her Instagram handle is Princess BB Boutique. And this is a super cute pattern that basically gives you Yoda ears and a scarf. So I think you guys should definitely check this out. This beginner pattern actually popularized her shop in 2018 and she has written several more patterns since then so there are quite a few more for you guys to check out over on her shop and again the best way for you guys to check out all of the stuff I mentioned in this episode is always Instagram which is at crime and crochet for me and you can see pictures of the people involved in this case the sources I used for this episode, and the crochet pattern from the episode as well. So again, before I wrap up this episode, I just wanted to remind you guys that you can check out today's crochet pattern as well as my sources, pictures of the people involved in this case, and much, much more over on my Instagram at crime and crochet as all one word as well as if you want to help me out, the best way you can help me is leave a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you are listening on if you are enjoying the podcast. With that, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and I hope you will join me here next Saturday for the next episode of Crime and Crochet. And make sure y'all are staying safe out there so you don't end up being one of these victims we talk about every week. Goodbye, y'all.